Hello, welcome to the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan, and joining me on this lovely morning is David Dixon. David, what's up? What's going on, Kelly? It's a beautiful day here in Connecticut. Yesterday, the sun was out, felt like spring for the first time, and NBA was on, and can't wait to talk about it. Can't wait to talk about it. So we've got four series. Three of them are knotted at 2-2. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so I want to start with, uh, in the West, game of the night last night, I want to start Warriors-Rockets, because I got a lot of a lot of thoughts from watching now four games, which is that the first thing I want to bring up is just the that I've noticed is that the Warriors are really only playing seven guys. They start that Hamptons five lineup, and then with Cousins being out, they don't really play their bench that much. They really play Sean Livingston, McKinney, and Eurekbo just like a little bit. So they're really playing seven, eight guys, Looney. Do you think that they could really as the series goes on, that like the type of impact of the fatigue of playing such a short rotation will be for them? I think the fatigue is definitely an issue, but my bigger concern would be if someone were to suffer an injury, as the Warriors are known to do. I'm, I mean, it's still a debate if they get past the Rockets in this round, but moving forward, if they continue to play seven guys, if a guy gets hurt and they're down to six and now all of a sudden you have to rely on a Jordan Bell who hasn't played in a month, or you have to rely on a Boogie Cousins who might be coming back from injury. That's an issue. So I think, I mean, the seven guys is not, I mean, fatigue, playoffs, adrenaline is, is real, and these guys are these guys are giving it all they have. But I, I would be definitely concerned if Steph tweaks an ankle or Clay tweaks an ankle or something happens to KD. I think that's definitely something to, to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I would be very concerned because these guys for the last five seasons have played you know, 100 to 110 games a year. And then a lot of the guys have done the summers with the USA basketball and the Olympics. So these guys have played so much that you wonder when they're going to wear out because you always see these, these dynasties, whether it was the bad boy Pistons in the eighties, those Lakers teams in the eighties. And most recently the Miami team in 2014, when, when you go to these finals for so many years in a row, it's so hard to, you know, keep up the same energy because it just takes such a physical toll on you. And you just have to wonder if the Warriors playing so few guys and relying on their superstars so much, when it's going to add up for them. Yeah, and and just to, to piggyback off of that, just so think about it. The teams that don't make the postseason, their season ends April 10th-ish. The Warriors have been playing till June 15th for the past four seasons. And this could possibly be their fifth. That's a, that's a cumulative eight extra months of basketball action versus their peers that fail to make the postseason. And those extra miles add up. I think Steph, the, there's starting to be a, a discourse about his play in the playoffs because it's he still plays at a high level, but it's definitely not to the standard that he set for himself in the regular season. And in game three, he was terrible. He shot it a little bit better last night, made some big shots. But in game three, everyone will remember him getting hung on the rim when he could have just laid it up in the, in the final seconds. But he was awful. And then Clay, Clay in Houston, he, he should have just not even packed his bags and stayed out in, in the bay. He was 11 for 31 and had 27 points in games three and four combined. And we can talk definitely more about this as the summer approaches. But 
this is a team that if KD leaves, I think I think they're in some serious jeopardy in terms of just their standing in the Western Conference. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far because I think that they'll re-sign Clay and Draymond. But speaking to to Steph, I think that these guys when so let's say that they play twenty postseason games, the you're allowed to have one off game at out of twenty. And Steph getting hung on the rim. We we've both done this. You're super frustrated. And you just try to go up there and just dunk it as hard as you can. And 98% of the time when you do that, you really embarrass yourself. And the only difference is we do that in an empty gym. And he does that in national television in front of millions and millions of people. But the Rockets have played really, really well, too. Like, I don't want to take anything away from them and say it's like, oh, just because Steph didn't play well and Clay didn't play well. The Rockets have played really well. Eric Gordon came out and had 30 in Game 3. Austin Rivers, Iman Shumpert, Capella, their role players are really stepping up, as well as James Harden really turning it on and shooting the ball really well and taking over these games. Yeah, James Harden is different, man. Like, in, in isolation, I I have not seen a player in my lifetime, and granted, I... I I mean, I saw Kobe, so Kobe's a, a comparison point. But what James Harden is able to do just p- with he and another guy on an island, he gets to his spot, and even if he doesn't have space, more times than not, it seems like he's making these shots. And just overall, th- the Rockets have been the better team. Yeah, You you could make the argument. They probably should have won game one. I know coulda, shoulda, woulda. But if, if there's a couple foul calls that go their way in game one, I think they're – they're leaving Oakland tied 1-1 in the series, and then they come home and take both in, in Houston, and this is a totally different series. But you, you talked about this a couple podcasts ago. Eric Gordon, man, he's, he is probably the Rockets' second most important player, in my opinion. Chris Paul is you know noted as that, and he's been, he hasn't been spectacular. He's been solid. He had a big three last night when the Warriors were going on a run to just kind of quiet them and, and extend the Rockets' lead, but... Between Eric Gordon and P.J. Tucker's defense, P.J. Tucker could play on my team any day of the week. Yeah, I think Zach Lowe said this a few weeks ago. Chris Paul is at the point God anymore. He's still really, really good. And the, there's just certain plays that when, when you watch, like gets a huge offensive rebound in the fourth quarter. He, he got two of those. P.J. Tucker, as, as you mentioned, just attacks the glass. And when he's hitting threes, it changes his whole game and changes the whole team's game. But the way that he can off as a rebound against the Warriors at such at being such a size disadvantage is so big for them. And they just him and Paul just make winning plays. I agree, Paul isn't the same guy. Naturally, he's played a lot and he's getting older. But he, the, the dude just still makes big winning plays. And Gordon just comes to play. And I would still say Paul's the second most important player. But when you watch Eric Gordon play... It's really like if he he's so good at pump faking on a three, giving it up, and then cutting to the basket and getting it back and making layups. And he's just playing a lot. He's playing really well. He plays pretty good defense. And it's just another guy who's not afraid to jack up threes, and he's a fantastic shooter. Like if he plays well like he has been and Tucker plays well, and Harden is the MVP. This the, you could see why people thought the Rockets were so good going into the series. Yeah, and just going back to the Warriors defending them, 
a lot of it is you, you have really have to pick your poison, right? Because yeah. you, you can't shut down Curry and and Clay and KD all at the same time. You really have to you know pick which of the guys you want to you know try to contain, and then the other one you just have to hope he has an off night. And you know there's a lot of debate who's more important to the to the Warriors. Is it KD or is it Steph? And to me, it looks as though the Rockets have really put an emphasis on limiting Steph and letting KD go off. And we know the Rockets are very math focused. And just watching it, it's like occurred to me last night. I was thinking, I mean, it makes sense because when Steph goes off, he's making a lot of threes. KD loves the mid range. So, you know, if, if we have to choose between a guy going off and the one guy is going to shoot mostly threes and the other guy's going to get to a spot at about 17 feet and pull up, it makes sense to let Steph shoot threes and then KD try and get yours and we're going to pray you miss. But if you make them, it's two points and we're going to come down the other end. James Harden's going to put Clay Thompson on an island and he's either going to do a step back three over him or drive to the basket and kick to Eric Gordon or PJ Tucker standing in the corner for a three. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you mentioned the defensive strategy because I agree that they're definitely trying to take away Steph and probably because of the threes is a huge part of it because Moore is a huge math guy. But it's also just we've seen time and time again over the last five five seasons when Steph gets hot and has those two-minute stretches where he makes three threes or a layup and kicks to someone else, like Steph Curry can end games on a mini run by himself like no other player I think in the league's history like when like when Steph goes inferno like the game is over like, like you could just call it and when Durant gets hot it doesn't end the game the, the same way it, it doesn't have the same devastating impact as when Steph goes inferno and I'll give Durant a lot of credit the dude not only is playing tremendous offensively, but you saw, especially last night, he was really taking the challenge of guarding James Harden on the defensive end. Like, he was not letting them switch. He wanted to guard James Harden. And, but James Harden's also been doing that guarding KD as well. And the issue is that, you know, it's impossible to guard KD because he's seven feet tall and is a guard. It doesn't matter. He could get a good shot off anytime. He's such a good shooter. But I was really impressed by that that because we haven't seen that type of defensive fire from from KD before yeah I mean it makes sense because KD has the length when Harden does his like patented step back he can at least get in his grill a little bit and you know block up his airspace yeah but it was, it was just more like a mentality thing that I was really impressed by for Durant because we haven't I haven't seen that in his time with the Warriors really like he was saying like I'm going to try like I'm shutting this dude down yeah no I totally agree so it's knotted 2-2, heading back to Oracle. How do you kind of see this, this series uh, unfolding? I just still think it's so hard to pick against the Warriors. The Rockets have really, really impressed me. Uh, I think the Warriors will, will win in Oracle in Game 5 because, just the old saying goes, role players always play better at home. And Wait, so you mean Steph and Clay will play better in Oakland? No. That's disrespectful. <laughs> I'm mainly saying like PJ Tucker won't make as many threes. Austin Rivers and Amon Shumpert definitely won't be making as many shots. Like the fact that Austin Rivers is playing 33 minutes in these in these games is just such a testament to how much better he's gotten. Like I'm not a fan of Austin Rivers by any stretch, but he's not unplayable. Yeah, he's definitely not unplayable. I think 
whoever wins game five is going to win this series. I think because the Warriors are home, they'll win and they'll they'll win the series at seven. This, this will be a classic. Teams keep home court all the way through. Blazers, Nuggets, their game from Friday night, I think it just ended. Um, <laughs> no, it went, it went four overtimes, one of the best NBA games I've seen in a while. But I was... You know, happy that the Blazers were able to win that. I picked them before the series, but I think they let a very good opportunity slip in game four. They had the Nuggets on the ropes. Jokic played 65 minutes, like 36 hours earlier. And to not be able to close them off on their home court, that was disappointing to me. Yeah, my my favorite quote after that epic game three was Jokic said something like, I don't know why you guys don't think I'm in shape. Like, I'm in pretty good shape. And he proved it in game four, playing basically 40 minutes again. So in the two games in in Portland, Jokic played over 100 minutes. And that is a big dude. And just my takeaways is just these two teams are so evenly matched that you really could see this going either way. Like, that's what makes the series so fun is that it's really just like, they are so they're like perfect counterparts for each other. Yeah, and I mean, from my perspective, like the the one thing I've been the most interested in this series has been Jamal Murray. Prior to the series, I'd watched him closely, and I, I really just thought he was kind of a scorer type who didn't really have much else to his game. His ability to make plays and get open shots for his teammates has been really impressive. And then Gary Harris on the wing has done a tremendous job just disrupting Dame and. Basically, I mean, we saw him hit that 37-footer against Oklahoma City over Paul George. you got to pick this man up basically the second he cover, or comes over half court. And Gary Harris has been relentless on the defensive end. He hasn't done much offensively, but he hasn't really needed to. Just, just the ability to make Dame – Dame's going to get his, but you just have to make him do it, do it uh, inefficiently. And I think Gary Harris has done a really, really good job at doing that. Yeah, the – the, the book on Dame is kind of what we were talking about for Steph or KD, which is that these insanely good offensive players, it's he's going to score his points. Like, you know that, but it's the old Shane Battier trying to get him to have 20 on 20 shots and have 20 on 10 shots. Just make it difficult. And when when I watch the Nuggets, and as you mentioned, Jamal Murray, that is a really awesome group going forward with Murray, Jokic, Harris, and give their GMs a ton of credit because they were picking in the mid-lottery a lot. Like, these weren't super high draft picks. Like, they were in the, in the mid-lottery. It really hit on, on a lot of guys coming out of college. Yeah, they have one of the youngest rosters in the history of the playoffs. Yeah. So I think their average age is, like, slightly under 25 years old, which is incredible if you think about it. And they have Michael Porter Jr. just kind of sitting in the wings – if he can, right, if he can really pop and turn into the player that many thought he would be as a highly touted high school recruit and then in his, his lone season at Missouri, they could be a problem moving forward because this is a team whose core in all likelihood is going to stay together assuming Denver is not shy in terms of paying the luxury tax. Yeah, you mentioned Porter and this team, I don't think that a, they could really attract free agents, but I don't think that they should try to get free agents. Like their young core is so good; they were the two seed this year. It's just finding the right role guys, like a guy like Paul Millsap or uh, Plumley, and 
Thomas provides a lot of leadership and no matter what happens to this series, you, you just want to run it back with this with this group. And I want to talk about the Blazers for one second. So everyone knows about Lillard. Everyone knows about McCollum. But it's the other guys who I've been really impressed by. Enos Kanner, Zach Collins, Seth Curry. And talk about Rodney Hood, man. He's he's come back from, from the dead. Yeah, from the dead and from LeBron's doghouse. A season ago, he's planted on Cleveland's bench, and now he's playing a pivotal role in in the playoffs but I just want to circle back to what you were saying regarding the Nuggets here's a team we talked about how bright their future is Anthony Davis is a free agent we can definitely talk more about this when the summer is closer but is there any scenario in which you try and put a package together and maybe go go after Anthony Davis they definitely should not get Anthony Davis like they should just run it back because there's so much fun the way that they play is just so enjoyable to watch. They move the ball. Everyone, even though everyone knows Jokic and Murray are the guys, you have everyone, it's not a hierarchy. Like everyone feels empowered. And they just have been the most fun team to watch. Like I think this is the best series so far, just in terms of watching it, just from a beautiful basketball standpoint. Because the Blazers are a lot of fun to watch, and the Nuggets are really, really fun to watch. Are we on the same page, though, that whoever wins this series is pretty much a dead man walking? Or do you think whoever wins this series has a chance to beat either the Warriors or the Rockets? They, of course, have a chance. I mean, I think the Blazers have a have a better chance. But the, well, the Warriors' fatigue thing, I think, will eventually catch up to them. And when you watch the Warriors play, you wonder about their intensity a lot and how much this really matters to them. Because you see it. They don't bring it all the time or for the whole stretch of, of the game. And over a seven-game series, when you have these guys who are fighting for the chance to go play for a championship, it means probably a lot more to these guys at the beginning than the guys on the Warriors. So they have a chance. And so who do you see winning the series? I think the Blazers win. I think they just have the best player in Lillard. I think it'll take all seven games now. But I would not be shocked either way. I wouldn't be shocked if we saw another four overtime game. Uh, the the only thing that would shock me is if these last three games, if they're blowouts. Yeah, could, I mean these games have pretty much all been close, so I agree with you. I think it's, I'll say Blazers, I'll say in six. I'll say they win game five and then they win game six at home. But I, if it goes seven, seven on Denver's home court, we saw them do that in the first round and they were able to take care of San Antonio. So I think. The Blazers, they want to get this done. They, they, they win game five, take it home for six, and uh, and end them. Yeah, the, the Blazers are a different beast than than the Spurs this this year. I, I got Blazers, Blazers in seven. So moving to the east, we've got the 76ers and the Raptors. Kawhi Leonard has been, you know, th- there's kind of the title for best player in the world is up for grabs. You can make the argument that it's either going to be Giannis, KD, Kawhi, and you can throw Harden's name in there if you want. Kind of how this playoffs, how these playoffs unfold, might determine who gets that belt. But the story of this series, to me, I picked the I picked the Raptors in six, and I thought this series wouldn't be all that close. The Raptors bench has been terrible. They've gotten no production. Last game, they won. They only had six guys who scored. So I think this, you know, the the unit that was once coined as the bench mob is now struggling immensely and 
Kawhi Leonard is having to do it by himself. And for a guy whose free agency is approaching and he's going to be looking for the best possible situation for him out there, he's not going to want to stay on a team where he's asked to carry this heavy of a load. I don't know how Leonard feels because he doesn't share any of his feelings with anyone ever. He just doesn't show any emotion, which is awesome when he's playing. But I think when you see Leonard, it's 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 clearly his team. So if he doesn't want to go somewhere and share the spotlight or share you know, shots with anyone. He stays in Toronto. It's like, this is his team. He could definitely make the finals this year. And Yeah, but David, Kyle Lowry is, is old, and he has showed up like one out of four games. Serge Ibaka is old. Marcus Gasol is old. Fred Van Vliet, I don't even know if he knows how to play basketball anymore. Pascal Siakam, okay, he has some potential. But are you really going to hitch your wagon to Pascal Siakam? This team, they don't granted some of these big contracts like Lowry's and Ibaka's are going to come off the books but this team doesn't really have much they don't have many different avenues they can go down this team is kind of tied up and I just don't think this if Kawhi looks at the Raptors and then looks at the Clippers which is like his rumored destination he just bought a 13 million dollar house in San Diego I find it hard to believe that he's going to look at Toronto and think it's a better basketball situation than the Clippers or even elsewhere. And I know you said it's it's tough to to tell what Kawhi is going to do because he really doesn't share his feelings. But I, I can't imagine. We saw LeBron, just the fatigue that he endured from having to essentially carry the Cavs last year. It's fun to be the man, but it's not fun to be the man when you have to do literally everything and your teammates aren't really holding up their end of the bargain. But the Raptors won 58 games this year and – Leonard didn't play that much in the regular season. He he missed a lot of back-to-back. The the term load management was used a lot for him. The Raptors understood how to get him to to this point. And he's just been absolutely dominant. And he's is the best player. You're saying he's basically single-handedly winning this series and I don't know what's really wrong with that. Like he is better than anyone on the Sixers. No, I'm not saying anything's wrong with it, but what I'm saying is for him, that's exhausting. Why would he want to stay on a team where he has to be the man and he has no help? Because he's probably going to make the finals this year, and he'll. And depending on what the Bucks do next year, he probably will make the finals again next year. There's other situations that are better for him out there, and I think just looking objectively, I do not think you can make the argument that Toronto is the best situation for him moving forward. I think he should look at the Raptors as a great option. They won 58 games this year. And they're in a way weaker conference where they basically, depending on what KD does, it's hard to imagine he actually will go to the Knicks. But basically, it's just him versus Giannis for the for the finals going forward. Like, I don't really understand how the Raptors aren't in contention. We could talk about this later. Let's get back to the series. So Joel Embiid was fantastic in game three after Marcus Gasol absolutely stonewalled him the first two games and then all of a sudden in game four he looks like he's seen a ghost and he was there were rumors that he was sick he needed an IV in the morning before the game what's going on with Joel Embiid yeah that is the weirdest storyline of of this playoffs you have Brett Brown saying after the game that he's really really sick he's get he's like he's coughing and sneezing all the time it's some some type of virus and it's just it's just really weird because when he's when it's seemingly healthy he dominates 
But when whatever's going on with him, whether it's an illness or his knee or something else, it's it's like Jekyll and Hyde. I didn't know he was sick, but I was watching the game, and he just seemed totally disengaged. Like he just he was almost his body was there, but his mind wasn't. Is what it seemed like, and that in conjunction with just Ben Simmons, he's there. But in a playoff series, when teams know he can't shoot, they the, the Raptors have done a great job on him. And granted, Ben Simmons has also guarded Kawhi and done as good of a job as you can on a guy who's just absolutely en fuego. But they need more from Ben Simmons. Jimmy Butler's been sensational. He's he's definitely stepped his game up. Tobias Harris was two for 13 from three in game four. And a lot of those were open looks. So I think I think those will fall, hopefully for the Sixers' sake in, in game five. But Similarly, we were talking about the Warriors' lack of depth. The Sixers, I mean, if you're relying on Greg Monroe to give you minutes in the playoffs, that's an issue. Yeah, the Butler's played really, really well. And it just all kind of comes down to Embiid because they're there because he's the, the their best player. And when he dominates, they win. And when he really struggles, it's very, very hard for them to win because you're saying they don't get a lot from their bench. They don't have a lot of perimeter shooting. So... It just, you hate to say it, but it's like you want it to be, it's kind of all up to Embiid. Because no matter if Butler has 30 points again, you need to get to like 105 to beat the Raptors. Right. Do you, do you like just based on this series and the playoffs so far, do you like the fit of Jimmy, Tobias, Ben, and Joel? Or do you think the Sixers should? let this season play out, and then maybe go in another direction. I just wish that they had more time to mesh all of them together because it was clear, all right, they're getting their original team to work, and then they add Butler, so they have to reintegrate him. And then once that started to kind of work and figured it out, they then, then they added Harris. So it just seems like they, they kept adding a guy right when the old unit was figuring out. Like They were just in a constant change of evolving and adapting to their new teammates and new surroundings. I just wish they had more time. Like I, I can't really give it a fair assessment yet because they just haven't played enough games, in my opinion, of all four of them together. Yeah, I mean, it's not even been a full season. I totally, totally agree with that. The rest of the series, I think it's going to come down to how much help can Kawhi get because I think Kawhi it's it's fair to expect at this at this rate for him to keep this up but I I just think the Sixers are too deep and ultimately I think they're gonna they're gonna take this this series in seven games winning game seven in Toronto wow I I I think Raptors in seven okay I I think Siakam will, will start playing a lot better Kawhi is dominating all your Kyle Lowry hate. He'll <laughs> he'll have one big game out, out of the three, and it'll be his first. And I think the Raptors win. In, I think the Raptors win in seven. All right, last series: Celtics, Bucks. I mean, like bye bye Boston. This is this is over. The Celtics came out, blitzed the Bucks in Game One, and then since then everything has gone Milwaukee's way. I think Giannis. Definitely depending on what Kevin Durant decides to do this summer, but I think he's about to to reign supreme in the East. And, I mean, the Bucs, they're on their way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. He's ready. 
he is when when people talk about who's next. Giannis is officially next. You you can't argue that that he's not the next guy anymore. And I just really hope that they make the finals so that he can get the national recognition that 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 he deserves. Because what you just said, the Celtics came out blitzed them game one, and then the Bucks just adjusted in games two, three, and four, and the Celtics haven't yet. And the Bucks countered and have really just taken it to them. And a huge part of that is Kyrie has just been really, really bad. And I think he's gone. And he's just been a huge disappointment. Now, I still think that no matter what, you make that trade again for Kyrie. You do it 100 times out of 100. But this has not gone the way that I think that they anticipated it to go. Definitely. I mean, you just... Look at the assets they had to give up to get Kyrie. Jay Crowder, okay, like he's a serviceable player. Isaiah Thomas fell off a cliff, and then that pick ended up turning into Colin Sexton, who could be a great player. But just the the chance of what Kyrie could have been, I think, was definitely worthwhile. George Hill's been fantastic in this series, and I think you could make the argument he's the second best player on the Bucks right now in this series. Not not moving forward. Chris Middleton has shot the ball poorly. Malcolm Brogdon, it's important for him to come back, I think. Hopefully he plays game five just to get some reps under him um, prior to the Eastern Conference Finals. But, I mean, George Hill, I owe an apology to Pat Connaughton. Um, I said he shouldn't get any minutes, and he played very, very well in Boston. He's a Boston kid, so that was probably expected. But he was he was very good, so I'm, I'm sorry, Pat. I'm not sure if you're listening. I Probably not. But he's, he was very good. And then in this series, I mean – Jason Tatum, he's struggled much of the much of the season, really. Let's have this this conversation. Who who's a better player? Or who's which player would you rather have moving forward, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown? Tatum. Is it close? No. Okay, because I think it is close. Because I think Jason Tatum has a very high ceiling, but I'm not sure he's going to be able to hit that ceiling. And I think I think Jalen Brown is a safe play, and he's just steadily improved over the course of his career and i mean i think if you were to run a simulation that jason tatum the average of his career is probably higher than that of jalen brown but you know this is this is a one-time deal and i i don't do not like the direction this is heading for jason tatum right now i just think that tatum didn't mesh with Kyrie at all and the way that Kyrie plays doesn't really fit with tatum because when you saw last year in the playoffs Tatum really needs the ball. He really needs to take a lot of shots. And this is just not the right situation for him at all. So I think that when Kyrie leaves, because when you watch his demeanor walking off the court last night and in the press conference, it feels like he's got one and three quarters feet out of the door. Yeah, I totally agree. And do you think if Kyrie is to leave, do you think that, I mean, it definitely changes their, their plans moving forward, but are you still looking to trade for Anthony Davis or are you looking to kind of reset and recalibrate? Because Al Horford also has a player option and granted it's, it's for over $30 million, but he could easily opt out and just sign with the team for say four years, 70 million and just get more guaranteed money. So, so I think there's a discussion to be had. Do they still make the trade for AD regardless of the Kyrie situation? I think they're out on on AD. I I saw this on Twitter last night, which I really liked, which was they can't 
keep the two timelines going. Like they can't try keep trying to compete right now and build for the future. I think it's time that they go all in on the young guys. They go all in on Tatum and Brown and build around those guys and stop trying to have the multiple timelines going of winning this championship, trying to win this championship, and then also trying to set themselves up for 10 years in the future. I think that this series has proved and this whole season has proved that you can't do that because then the roster doesn't make any sense. And they're so talented, but they don't mesh together because Kyrie's thinking playoffs, 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 playoffs. But when you're dealing with 20 and 21-year-olds, they're not going to be as consistent for the whole season, you know? So I think it's time for them to either just go all in on win right now and re-sign Kyrie and make the trade for Davis, which I don't think they will do. And I think that, or do what I think they will do and should do, which is let Kyrie walk. I think Al will opt in. It's 30 million reasons to opt in. Try to get, try to get off Hayward and just build around Tatum and Brown and their other young pieces. Yeah, that's the thing. Getting off Hayward is going to be tough. And then Terry Rozier, like, do you sign him and is he your point guard of the future? Or do you just totally, because the, 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 if they, if Kyrie walks and even if Al Horford stays, this team's still a playoff team. But I mean, are they even better than like, like the Nets? I don't, I'm not sure. I know a lot of that will depend on who the Nets get in free agency. But this has got to be, you know, a shot in the chest to Danny Ainge, who 12 months ago, at this time, they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals with Kyrie sideline and Gordon Hayward still on the sideline from his gruesome leg injury. And, you know, fast forward to now, and here they are about to lose in the second round to a team that, granted, had the best record in the regular season. But this is a Celtics team that made the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Yeah, it it has to be a, a huge disappointment. But also, I don't know what Ainge should have done differently because I think he does everything exactly the same. You sign Hayward again. You make the Kyrie trade again. You make the same draft picks again. And you just it just didn't work out the way they the way he thought it would. Like I, I don't think that he he should get any blame because I think anyone in at, at the time when he was making those decisions would have done something differently. Yeah, I, his process is right. It's just the results they didn't wind up the way he he envisioned them so i totally agree with that he would have done that he would have basically had the same thought process and same decision making process 10 times out of 10 so i'm totally there with you and it proves that sports is not a math equation we get you got to play the games kelly gotta play the games man it's not a simulation you got to play the games (laughs) and it's also not a simulation because personality is real too like this celtics team Kyrie's personality man it is i don't want to say abrasive but just the way he handles the media and acts like he's just like Nostradamus, it's got to be just irritating to his teammates. Oh, incredibly irritating. And it'll be great when he's playing for the Lakers next year and him Le- and him and LeBron can be the passive-aggressive brothers that they, you know, the long-lost passive-aggressive brothers just complaining to the media about each other while they're sitting next to each other. I would absolutely love that. A little reunion with Kyrie, LeBron, and it looks like Ty Lue's going to be the coach, so basically just transporting Cleveland to L.A. and subtracting Dan Gilbert. So everything looks good. The band is back together. Band's back together. Any last words, Dave? Uh, Yeah, since you cut me off last time, Game <laughs> of Thrones, shout out to Arya Stark, kill the Night King. We got a big episode coming up this, this week. Cersei is, 
she's just a bad person. I, I I don't know what else to say. And shout out the Starbucks cup. That was that was really funny. Yeah, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. I'm not really in on Game of Thrones, but I'll, we'll let That's this okay. rock. So the right. people will understand. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Thank you everyone for listening. If you have not done so already, please subscribe, rate, and review on the iTunes page. We can be reached. We have a Twitter account. Our handle is DBL underscore DBL podcast. And our email account is double double four zero two at gmail.com. We're thinking about doing a mailbag episode. So if people want to write in with potential questions, uh, that'd be much appreciated. I'm not really sure how many people listen this far into the podcast or probably once the music starts running, I'm sure some people tune out. So hopefully if you listen this far, write in, we'll have some fun with uh, some questions, hopefully later this summer. Thank you everyone for listening. Take care and make it a great day.